All right, have a seat. Thank you. Um, if you're just joining us online or if uh, you've just come in, welcome. Uh, Fellowship Asheville, we're really glad to have you here. And here's what I hope happens uh, before we leave this place. I hope you're able to leave with more faith and trust in Jesus than you had when you came in. Uh, truly, no matter who you are or where you are, I hope that is true of you. Um, now, uh, go ahead and open your Bible to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 2 and 1 through 12. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a little uh, picture in your head uh, to kind of capture where we're going in this message. Um, before we moved to North Carolina, my family and I lived in Tennessee, and we lived in a part of Tennessee that was very prone to tornadoes. Like, like, like literally, um, alarm sirens would go off, oddly, quite frequently. And we kind of got used to them. Like, if you've ever grown up in, 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 in a place where there are tornado sirens and they go off a lot, you just kind of hear them and you're, you look in the sky and you determine, is this like valid or not? Like, or is it Wednesday at 12.15 and they're testing them? That always happened, right? Like, like, like you just kind of get, get used to them. Well, one night um, we were actually meeting with a family there in Jackson. We knew we were moving here and we were meeting with them uh, to raise support for the church here uh, in Asheville. And as we were meeting with them, we were winding down and an alarm went off. And I had seen the weather and I knew there was a bad storm coming. And so when the alarm went off, there was something in all of us that said, you know what, let's, let's go ahead and call this short and y'all are in, we're in, let's go. So, so we left. My wife and kids were at home and they heard the alarm too. They sensed that, okay, this is, this is real. My wife texted me a picture of her and the kids in the closet. And so as I'm driving from the house where we were meeting to home, um, it's, it's dark, there's lightning, and I look out the side window, and <laughs> through the, when the lightning would strike, I could see a tornado. And it looked like it was right over my neighborhood. It actually was right over my neighborhood. And so as we drove closer... There was debris everywhere. Like, I've never been in a war zone, but this is what it felt like. There was debris everywhere, and we had to reroute and go different ways to get home. And what was weird, if I tried to come in the back way of my neighborhood, that's where there was debris everywhere, and we couldn't because that was right where the tornado went through. So I had to kind of go the long way and come in the front way of my neighborhood, and it looked pristine, like, like nothing had happened. So I had hope that, okay, maybe my house is okay. And so, so as I drive through my neighborhood and I get to my house, I'm very thankful that my house is still there. Right? I found out later that the roof actually lifted up about a quarter of an inch and went back down. All the nails on the roof were the same distance like removed. My wife, if you ever heard that, that uh, a tornado sounds like a train as it goes by, my wife said it does because it went by the house behind us completely destroyed. And um, as I pull in the driveway, though, I share all this to say, as I, as I, pull, in, as I pull in the, the, the driveway, um, there is this, this piece of, of guardrail. Like, there's debris everywhere, but there's this piece of highway guardrail that's in our driveway, like one of those guardrails, right? It's twisted and it's gnarled, but it's, it's like blocking the way to the driveway, the, here's the crazy part. The nearest highway was over a mile away that it was picked up and dropped off in our driveway. Now, 
it should have been on the road. Like, that's what guardrails are for, right? They're to keep people on the road. They're to keep people safe. They're there to keep, um, to keep people going the same direction. But that guardrail had become this obstacle, keeping me from my driveway it, because it was in a place that it was never intended to be. My driveway didn't need a guardrail, Right? This is what we're going to see today. Something to consider is where have my guardrails become obstacles? Where have my guardrails become obstacles? Right now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Because we all have guardrails in our life, right? And, and, and they're good, and they actually have, I think, really good purposes. They keep us safe, and they keep others safe. Guardrails are like those rules that we set for ourselves. They're the, the rules, the boundaries maybe we have for relationships that we're in. They could be house rules that family follow. Anybody have house rules in your house, right? Things that you just do, Right? Those are, those are guardrails. They're there to help the family function well. They're there to create this, this, this as good as possible environment in a home. Right? Classrooms have rules. I was a school teacher. I had rules. Not that anybody followed them, but I had rules. Right? And they were there to create this safe and, and, and good learning environment. That's what those rules were there. And they were, they were guardrails. Businesses have rules, and those rules create cultures, and those cultures are, and those rules are guardrails in a business to help people work in a safe environment, to help people work in a productive environment. In ministry, we have guardrails, right? Like if you volunteer in Fellowship Kids, like we're going to run background checks. We're going to do things to make sure that, that you're safe and that our kids are safe. In ministry, we have guardrails, we have, we have uh, guardrails that keep us as much as we can, that keep us uh, free from accusation and disqualification from ministry. Those guardrails are good. But here's a caution that we're going to see today. When a guardrail is b- blown to a place it doesn't belong, it becomes an obstacle. Right? When a guardrail is blown to a place it doesn't belong, it becomes an obstacle. And in particular, what we're going to see is this. We're going to see that guardrails for our faith can actually become obstacles to our faith. Right? We're going to see how guardrails for our faith can become obstacles, keeping ourselves and others from our faith. Right? Let me show you what I mean. So chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum, so this is Jesus, that's who they're talking to, and when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there is no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So if you remember last week, if, if you listened last week, or if you've been following along with us in Mark, uh, something shifted in Jesus' ministry at the, uh, the verses that we covered last week. That when Jesus healed someone, he, he told this person in particular, hey, don't tell people, right? And that's exactly what this person did. And, and he went and told everybody that he was healed. And what that did, the consequence of his disobedience is that now Jesus couldn't go anywhere without a crowd following him. They, they followed him everywhere. They even followed him to this house that he was teaching and preaching at. And so, so this one man's disobedience, and we use the word sin because disobedience is, it, to Jesus is sin, right? And his sin 
have impacted the ministry of Jesus. And as I was thinking about last week, there was something that was lingering in me from last week that I think applies to here too. And it's something that, that I didn't have time to kind of process with us last week, but it's this, is that what we see as chapter one closes is that Jesus actually carries the weight of our sin for us. And here's what I mean by that. This man's sin, like this, this, this leper that Jesus touched and then healed and how powerful that was, this man's sin telling everyone that he was freed from his leprosy, it did impact others, like we'll see here, but, but because you know the impact is that it made it hard for some people to get to Jesus. But as Mark tells us this story, he doesn't highlight how it affected others. He doesn't highlight how it affected the disciples, he highlights how it affected Jesus. And what we can see from that is, yes, our sin has consequences. But Jesus carries the weight of those consequences for us. You see, this is our gospel. This is our good news. The good news is that Jesus really does carry the weight and the penalty, and the power of sin. We don't. We can't. And as I share that, I share that knowing that there are people in here, and I do this myself. This is why I know, right? This is an us issue, not just a them issue. This is an us issue. We think we can carry the weight of our sin. And we hold on to it, and we try and fix it, and we try to do all this stuff that is good and right, but, but we don't give the weight to Jesus to carry. And so let me ask you, do you need this kind of good news today? Have you made mistakes, whether intentional or unintentional, that creates this weight on you that's really too big for you to carry and too big for you to, to, to even go through your life day to day? What would happen if you realized Jesus can carry that weight for you? What would happen if forgiveness of Jesus took that weight away from you. Well, let's see how to do that. Let's look at this crowd. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says this. It says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And so here's the deal. These, these four men have a friend, right? And, and this friend uh, is, is paralyzed. He, he can't move. And, and if you're a paralyzed person in ancient time, the only way you survived is off the generosity and help of others. This, 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 this paralyzed person uh, had nothing except four friends. And these four friends figured out a way to get to Jesus. Right? And so they climbed up on the roof of this house, they, they, they tore it open, and they lowered him in. Now, the hard, the hard part for us sometimes is we think about a roof like on the houses and homes that we have, like the one on, on my house that was lifted up, right? Think more like Survivor in this picture, like think sticks, palm leaves, dried palm leaves, mud even that, that has dried. And so like if you think like a homeowner, you're thinking, so who are those fools tearing up in my roof, right? Easy to fix, easy to fix. That's not, you know, that, so, so you got to kind of shift your thinking about like this. But here's what these guys did. These guys did something to bring their friend to Jesus. 
Dallas Willard says this about grace, that grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Right? Grace isn't opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And grace is another word for that good news of Jesus, for that gospel of Jesus. Right, That his death, burial, and resurrection carries the weight of your sin. It deals with the power and penalty of your sin. And this gospel isn't opposed to effort. Right, Effort is them tearing through the roof to get their friend to Jesus, to get to Jesus. It is opposed to earning. If these guys were to tear through the roof and plop down and say, okay, because we did this, Jesus, you better do this, that's earning. Earning is, if I do this, God's got to do this. The gospel is very opposed to that. That's not how our faith works. Right? See, your sin, my sin, our sin is too big for us to earn God's grace with it. Right? But it's not too big to bring to Jesus. He can and he does carry it. And when he does right? We don't earn his love. He gives it to us freely. And once we we see this love, Jesus empowers us to do like what these friends did, bring others others to Jesus. He empowers us uh, to, to see Jesus and to see him as God in every area of your life. You see these guardrails uh, that I was talking about for our faith, they are intended, they're not intended to stop us, they're intended to direct us. Right? They're intended to kind of keep us going down the road the right way. They focus our effort. They don't stop it. Think of guardrails as things like spiritual disciplines, as things like scripture memory and Bible study, engaging in community, even engaging in church. You know, the, the, the term that's also being used a lot is these, this rule of life, like how you structure your life. That is an effort. That's a guardrail to focus. To focus. And they're fine and they're good, which is why this happens. Look at how Jesus responds. Verse 5, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Right? And so he looks at this paralytic guy and he says, Your sins are forgiven. Now notice, Jesus sees their what? Faith. Right? He doesn't comment on their effort. He comments on their faith because their faith fueled their effort. He sees the faith of this paralyzed man. He sees the faith of the man who brought him in. Y'all, this is faithful effort and it's good. And I say this because I want to encourage you, some of you being in this place today, for some of you clicking on on your computer or screen, whatever you're watching on, took faithful effort to do that. Jesus sees that, and he sees the faith behind it. But here's the plot twist. Remember, guardrails can become obstacles. Here's a plot twist here. Not everybody sees what just happened as faith. They see it as something completely different. Because what we're going to see is when guardrails are blown to a place they don't belong, they become obstacles. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says this. Uh, Where is verse 6? There it is. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So here's what happens. There's There's these guys, these religious leaders sitting in the house. They made their way in. They see what's happening. And, and when Jesus heals this man, and well, when Jesus forgives this man, 
right? They're like, okay, now you've gone too far, right? Who do you think you are, right? And these, the, these scribes, this is a group of, of men, right, whose job was to, to write the words of the Bible from, from one copy to another copy. If they got one uh, letter wrong, if they dotted their I incorrectly, they had to start all over again. So it was their job to know every word of the Scriptures. And, and part of that, they were looked at for that reason as experts in the law. And part of what they did is they created guardrails for the nation of Israel so that they could live out their faith well, so that they could live a life that's pleasing to God, so that their, their effort could be directed the right way. But what Jesus has done is just like this tornado, picking up some of their guardrails and moving them for them. Because what he's just done doesn't fit with the guardrails that they have. But here's how you know a guardrail has become an obstacle, because look at what they do. See, when it does, what happens is that accusations are what turn a guardrail into an obstacle. Because notice, what does it say? It says they ask questions, but who are they asking the questions to? themselves, right? We're going to see that Jesus hears them and addresses them, but they're not talking to Jesus. They're talking to themselves. In other words, they're asking questions, but they don't really want an answer because they've already got it. Anybody ever have that happen to you where somebody asks a question, but they're not looking, they want you to say their answer, right? Parents, ever walked into a dirty room that you've told someone to clean and you said so this is your clean room what do you want as your answer to that no it's the same type question right it's better to put a period or an exclamation point at the end of a question like that they're asking a question that is really an accusation and that is a huge red flag that your guardrail has become an obstacle because, because look at their questions slash accusations. Why does this man speak like this? Is he crazy? Is he a lunatic? Right? He is blaspheming. Or maybe he's a liar. Like he knows that what he's saying isn't true. And so he's just a bold-faced liar in front of us. And then they ask too, who can forgive sins but God alone? Like he thinks he must be God. And notice their questions, they're not, they're not to Jesus. They're, they're accusations. Y'all, I gotta tell you, Jesus loves when we come to him with questions. He is not afraid of any question we have if we're willing to let him be the answer to that question. If we're willing to let him answer that question for us. He, he, he's not afraid of our doubt. He loves it when we come to him and say, help me in the midst of my unbelief, help me believe. Like, that's our Jesus. That, that, that he thrives on. He, he, he loves it. And these, these scribes, they had some good guardrails, guardrails which honestly might have served them well in the past, right? If they're dealing with a prophet and somebody stands up and says, hey, I am God, they had these guardrails to, to prove whether or not this person was God. And actually, this guardrail was put in place that when the, when the Messiah came, when Jesus showed up, they could actually check boxes that, yes, this is the Messiah. But all of a sudden, when Jesus did it, man, this is going to mess some things up. We got it good here. And if you're the Messiah, you're going to change everything. 
And these boxes we had, it worked for them, but we've never had anybody that could actually check the boxes, so now we're freaking out a bit. Right? You see, this guardrail actually could have been an indicator that Jesus is God standing in front of them. Because instead of them thinking, who does he think he is? They could have asked the question, who do we think he is? Because he just forgave somebody's sin. You see, for you and me, we have to beware when our guardrails for our faith cause us to accuse others, to accuse God. Those guardrails have become an obstacle to faith. Because watch what Jesus does in verse 8. Verse 8, Jesus does, says that he does this. He says, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Now, I know, like, they had to have, like, this, like, gulp moment, right? Like, they're talking amongst themselves or thinking in their heads these things. You know, Jesus, and Jesus quotes their questions for them because he knew what was going on in their hearts. Again, this was a pretty good indicator that, yes, this, this guy standing in front of us is God. But Jesus says, which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Right? Because he could say, your sins are forgiven, and nobody really knows if they are or not. But when you say, take up your, your mat and walk, you are healed, that gives proof that what he said before is true. You see, Jesus knows their questions are deep questions, questions of the heart. And so, y'all, here's what keeps a guardrail from becoming an obstacle is this, is that the truth of Jesus keeps a guardrail a guardrail. The truth of Jesus keeps a guardrail from becoming an obstacle because the, the truth of Jesus is what keeps a guardrail from becoming this obstacle to faith. The guardrails are designed to help us see Jesus clearly. The spiritual disciplines, the, the serving others, you know, working and uh, helping out in fellowship kids and holding babies, those are designed to help you see Jesus. And to see him clearly, to know him better. You see, the scribes, what's interesting, they don't question the faith of the paralytic. They don't question the faith of his friends. They don't even question the faith of the other disciples. They question the truth of Jesus. Are you who you're claiming to be? By saying that he forgives sins, Jesus is saying he is God. And the, the, the scribes' response is, no, he's a lunatic. Right? He doesn't even know what he's saying. He's crazy. Or he knows what he's saying, and he's purposefully deceiving us, and so he's a liar. Or the third option, which Jesus loves them and actually wants them to respond to this, is or he is Lord, or he is God. You see, church, these three questions have to be answered by each of us about the truth of Jesus. Right? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he Lord? Is Jesus crazy? Did he have no idea what he was saying and no idea what he was doing? Or did he know that what he was doing was false and he's a liar? Or is he Lord? I think it was Josh McDowell that first introduced me to those three terms about Jesus. And I know uh, C.S. Lewis has used them, Watchman Nee has used them, other has, has used various forms of them. But it's a question we all have to answer about the truth of Jesus. 
Because you see, Jesus wants the scribes to know that he is Lord because Jesus loves them. He loves the Pharisees. And so he shows them his power. Look at, look at verse 10. He says, but, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to give sin. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them so, so that they all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've, we never saw anything like this. And so, so, so maybe they're listening, right? As the story unfolds, we see how this goes. But, but maybe, just maybe, Mark is leaving us here. Maybe they do see that Jesus is Lord, that he's not crazy. He's not a liar, but he is Lord. And so based on what we see, church, let me ask you, is Jesus a lunatic? Okay, it's a good time to respond. Let's <laughs> ask again, is Jesus a lunatic? No. Is he a liar? Is Jesus Lord? Yes. Yes. The question for us, do your guardrails help you see Jesus as Lord? If not, then maybe your guardrails have actually become an obstacle. Right? You see, the guardrails of the scribes didn't allow them, we're going to see, didn't allow them to fully see Jesus as Lord. Do your guardrails help others see Jesus as Lord? If not, then they've been blown to a place they don't belong. Can we we give like a real-time example of this? And as I share this, what I want you to do is, is listen to your own thoughts about this, listen to what your own emotions tell you, because they may help you uh, kind of identify if a guardrail is a guardrail or, or if, it's, if it's an obstacle. Whenever I'm around, and this has been a frequent occurrence, particularly lately I've noticed it. Whenever I'm around people who don't follow Jesus or are just beginning to follow Jesus, they're just curious about church and what church is, I have heard the same question in multiple different conversations. And it's this, for some reason. Are gay people welcome at your church? That's the question I get. Oddly specific, I think, of all the things that they could ask, that's the question. Here's where I think this question comes from. One, I think it comes from the fact that maybe they are gay, and they're wondering, are they going to be welcomed here, or are they going to be shamed and kicked out? Because some of the Gay folks that I have talked to that are my friends, that has happened at church. And I apologize on behalf of the church because I'm like, that didn't need to happen. Right? Maybe they're asking because they have friends or family that are gay. And they love what they're seeing and experiencing here. They want to invite their friends or family, but they're like, I don't want to bring them to a place that they're going to be made to feel shame. And they're going to be made to to feel like they don't belong. I think that's where that question comes from. And here's the way I answer it. As I tell them, I assure them that they are welcome here. That every person, no matter who they are or where they are, is welcome here. And I say that because... What I hope happens when we gather together for worship is what I hope happens no matter who you are or where you're coming from, that you get to experience Jesus. And we work hard to remove as many obstacles as possible. We're not perfect. Like, like, 
like we're not perfect, but we work hard to remove as many obstacles as possible so that you, no matter who you are or where you're coming from, can bump into Jesus while you're here. That's what we hope happens. And so every Sunday when you hear me say, I hope that you leave here with more faith and trust in Jesus than when you had walking in, I'm talking to anybody and everybody that can hear my voice. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what brought you in here today, if you can connect with Jesus while you're here, then our guardrails are doing what they're supposed to do and they haven't become obstacles. Right now, here's the deal. If my answer bothers you, you might have some obstacles. Your guardrails might have become obstacles. And I wonder if there are guardrails for your faith that have become obstacles to somebody else's. And so let's give this some space to, to be personal. Let's stop talking about, about them and talk about us. Let's talk about you and me and what guardrails do you have in your life? What rules have you put in your life, whether in spoken rules, written down rules, or unspoken rules? Not, you know, like, like we all have rules. Here are some common ones, like engaging in church. Some of you, that's a very high priority, and, and that's good. I, 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 I love doing this with people in the room. Right? Preaching to a camera for eight months or however many months we did it, that was hard. Right? Like, I love engaging with church, but it's more than just being here. It's being in community here and, and, and engaging with the sermon, you know, taking notes, drawing pictures, engaging with friends. It's all that. Maybe one of your rules is a quiet time, right? A time during the day where it's you and your Bible and, and you read and you pray and you meet with God. Maybe it's attending growth groups. Maybe it's, maybe it's serving in the community or serving in the church. Maybe it's you, you live your life on a budget so that you can live generously and give to the church and give to other things. Maybe it's these daily times of prayer throughout the day. Maybe it's scripture memory. Maybe it's journaling. Like all these things are rules that we have to, to, to their guardrails to help us live with Jesus and to see him clearly and to, and to have deeper, deeper faith in him. And the question is, do these guardrails help you see Jesus as Lord or do they cause you to accuse others? Like that's the question. Because where those accusations sit might be a place where a guardrail has become a barrier. Do these guardrails help you see the Jesus of the Bible or the Jesus of your own making? Right? Do you see the Jesus that is or the Jesus you want? Because they might be two different Jesuses. You see, where does Jesus challenge you? Because let me tell you, if you think the same thing about Jesus that you did two years ago, something's probably not well there. Where is Jesus challenging your faith? Where is he pushing you? Where is he growing you? Because you see, church, when we see more of Jesus and more of who he is, like we love each other better. We love the community around us better. And so if Jesus isn't doing that in your life, if Jesus isn't becoming bigger, then beware because you might have guardrails that will actually become obstacles to someone else's faith and maybe even obstacles to your own faith. And so this week, here's what I want you to do. I want us to observe what are those rules in our life that actually help us to see Jesus better. And then I want us to do more of those. 
right? It's actually that simple. What allows you to see Jesus better and then do more of those? Deal? Okay, that's another place where a response would be good. Just throwing that out there. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Jesus, uh, you are the one we worship. We don't worship ourselves. We don't, we don't worship a place. We worship Jesus. And I pray that as we go into this time of, of singing and song and, and, and prayer, that we will do that, that we will see you clearly. In Christ's name I pray, amen.